0: Welcome everyone to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment. Welcome back everyone to 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories and the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Today, Chapter 11, The Great Agra treasure "'Our captive sat in the cabin opposite to the iron box "'which he had done so much and waited so long to gain. "'He was a sunburned, reckless-eyed fellow, "'with a network of lines and wrinkles "'all over his mahogany features, "'which told of the hard, open-air life. "'There was a singular prominence about his bearded chin "'which marked a man who was not to be easily turned from his purpose. "'His age may have been fifty or thereabouts, "'for his black curly hair was thickly shot with grey. "'His face in repose was not an unpleasing one, "'though his heavy brows and aggressive chin "'gave him, as I had lately seen, "'a terrible expression when moved to anger. "'He sat now with his handcuffed hands upon his lap "'and his head sunk upon his breast "'while he looked with his keen, twinkling eyes "'at the box which had been the cause of his ill-doings. "'It seemed to me that there was more sorrow than anger "'in his rigid and contained countenance. "'Once he looked up at me with a gleam "'of something like humour in his eyes. "'Well, Jonathan Small,' said Holmes, "'lighting a cigar.' "'I'm sorry that it has come to this.' "'And so am I, sir,' he answered frankly. "'I don't believe that I can swing over the job. "'I give you my word on the book that I never raised hand against Mr. Sholto. "'It was that little hellhound Tonga who shot one of his cursed darts into him. "'I had no part in it, sir. "'I was as grieved as if it had been my blood relation. "'I welted the little devil with the slack end of the rope for it, "'but it was done, and I couldn't undo it. "'Have a cigar.' said Holmes, and you had best take a pull out of my flask, for you are very wet. How could you expect so small and weak a man as this black fellow to overpower Mr. Sholto and hold him while you were climbing the rope? You seem, to know, you seem to know as much about it as if you were there, sir. The truth is that I hoped to find the room clear. I knew the habits of the house pretty well, and it was the time when Mr. Sholto usually went down to his supper. I shall make no secret of the business. The fe- "'The best defense that I can make is just the simple truth. "'Now, if it had been the old Major, "'I would have swung for him with a light truth. "'I would have swung for him with a light heart. "'I would have thought no more of knifing him "'than of smoking a cigar. "'But it's cursed hard that I should be lagged "'over this young Sholto, with whom I had no quarrel whatsoever. "'You are under the charge of Mr. Athelny Jones, "'of Scotland Yard. "'He is going to bring you up to my rooms, "'and I shall ask you for a true account of the matter. "'You must make a clean breast of it, "'for if you do, I hope that I may be of use to you. "'I think I can prove that the poison acts so quickly "'that the man was dead before you ever reached the room.' "'That he was, sir. "'I never got such a turn in my life "'as when I saw him grinning at me "'with his head on his shoulder as I climbed to the window. "'It fairly shook me, sir. "'I'd have half-killed Tonga for it "'if he had not scrambled off. "'That was how he came to leave his club, "'and some of his darts, too, as he tells me, "'which I dare say helped to put you on our track, "'though so how you kept on it is more than I can tell.' "'I don't feel no malice against you for it. "'But it does seem a queer thing,' he added with a bitter smile, "'that I, who have a fair claim to half a million of money, "'should spend the first half of my life building a breakwater in the Andamans. "'And I am like to spend the other half digging drains at Dartmoor. "'It was an evil day for me when I first clapped eyes upon the merchant Achmet "'and had to do with the Agra treasure, "'which never brought anything but a curse yet upon the man who owned it. "'To him it brought murder. "'To Major Sholto it brought fear and guilt.' "'to me it has meant slavery for life.' "'At this moment, "'Athelny Jones thrust his broad face "'and heavy shoulders into the tiny cabin. "'By the family party,' he remarked. "'I think I shall have a pull at that flask, Holmes. "'Well, I think we may all congratulate each other. "'Pity we didn't take the other alive, "'but there was no choice. "'I say, Holmes, "'you must confess that you cut it rather fine. "'It was all we could do to overhaul her.' "'All is well that ends well,' said Holmes.' "'but I certainly did not know that the Aurora was such a clipper. "'Smith says she's one of the fastest launches on the river, "'and that if he had had another man to help him with the engines, "'we should never have caught her. "'He swears he knew nothing of this Norwood business.' "'Neither he did,' cried our prisoner. "'Not a word. "'I chose his launch because I heard that she was a flyer. "'We told him nothing, but we paid him well, "'and he was to get something handsome if we reached our vessel, "'the Esmeralda, at Gravesend, outward bound for the Brazils.' "'Well, if he's done no wrong, we shall see that no wrong comes to him. "'If we are pretty quick in catching our men, "'we are not so quick in condemning them.' "'It was amusing to notice how the consequential Jones "'was already beginning to give himself airs on the strength of the capture. "'From the slight smile which played over Sherlock Holmes's face, "'I could see that the speech had not been lost upon him. "'We will be at Vauxhall Bridge presently,' said Jones, "'and shall land you, Dr. Watson, with a treasure-box.' I need hardly tell you that I am taking a very grave responsibility upon myself in doing this. It is most irregular, but, of course, an agreement is an agreement. I must, however, as a matter of duty, send an inspector with you, since you have so valuable a charge. You will drive, no doubt? Yes, I shall drive. It is a pity there is no key, that we may make an inventory first. You will have to break it open. Where is the key, my man? "'At the bottom of the river,' said Small, shortly. "'Hm. There was no use in giving this unnecessary trouble. "'We've had work enough already through you. "'However, Doctor, I need not warn you to be careful. "'Bring the box back with you to the Baker Street rooms. "'You will find us there, on our way to the station.' "'They landed me at Vauxhall, with my heavy iron box, "'and with a bluff genial inspector as my companion. "'A quarter of an hour's drive brought us to Mrs. Cecil Forrester's, THE SERVANT SEEMED SURPRISED AT SO LATE A VISITOR. Mrs. Cecil Forrester was out for the evening, she explained, and likely to be very late. Miss Morston, however, was in the drawing-room. So to the drawing-room I went, box in hand, leaving the obliging inspector in the cab. She was seated by the open window, dressed in some sort of white, diaphanous material, with a little touch of scarlet at the neck and waist. The soft light of a shaded lamp fell upon her as she leaned back in the basket-chair, "'playing over her sweet, grave face "'and tinting with a dull, metallic sparkle "'the rich coils of her luxuriant hair. "'One white arm and hand "'drooped over the side of the chair, "'and her whole pose and figure "'spoke of an absorbing melancholy. "'At the sound of my footfall "'she sprang to her feet, however, "'and a bright flush of surprise and of pleasure colored her pale cheeks. "'I heard a cab drive up,' she said, "'and I thought that Mrs. Forrester "'had come back very early, "'but I never dreamed that it might be you.' What news have you brought me? i brought something better than news, said I, putting down the box upon the table and speaking jovially and boisterously, though my heart was heavy within me. I brought you something which is worth all the news in the world. I've brought you a fortune. She glanced at the iron box. Is that the treasure then she asked coolly enough. Yes, this is the great Agra treasure, half of it is yours, and half daddy is Thaddeus Sholto's. You will have a couple of hundred thousand each. Think of that! An annuity of ten thousand pounds! There will be few richer young ladies in England. Is it not glorious? I think I must have been rather overacting my delight, and that she detected a hollow ring in my congratulations, for I saw her eyebrows rise a little, and she glanced at me curiously. If I have it, said she, I owe it to you. No, no, I answered. "'Not to me, but to my friend Sherlock Holmes. "'With all the will in the world, "'I could never have followed up a clue "'which has taxed even his analytical genius. "'As it was, we very nearly lost it at the last moment.' "'Pray sit down and tell me all about it, Dr. Watson,' said she. "'I narrated briefly what had occurred since I'd seen her last. "'Holmes's new method of search, the discovery of the Aurora, "'the appearance of Ethelny Jones, our expedition in the evening,' "'and the wild chase down the Thames. "'She listened with parted lips and shining eyes "'to my recital of our adventures. "'When I spoke of the dart which had so narrowly missed us, "'she turned so white that I feared she was about to faint. "'It is nothing,' she said, "'as I hastened to pour her out some water. "'I'm all right again. "'It was a shock to me to hear "'that I had placed my friends in such a horrible peril.' "'That's all over,' I answered. "'It was nothing.' I will tell you no more gloomy details. Let us turn to something brighter. There is the treasure. What could be brighter than that? I've got leave to bring it with me, thinking that it would interest you to be the first to see it. It would be of greatest interest to me, she said. There was no eagerness in her voice, however. It had struck her, doubtless, that it might seem ungracious upon her part to be indifferent to a prize which had cost so much to win. What a pretty box, she said, stooping over it. "'This is Indian work, I suppose?' "'Yes, it's Benares metalwork.' "'And so heavy!' she exclaimed, trying to raise it. "'The box alone must be of some value. "'Where is the key?' "'Small threw it into the Thames,' I answered. "'I must borrow Mrs. Forrester's poker.' "'There was in the front a thick and broad hasp "'wrought in the image of a sitting Buddha. "'Under this I thrust the end of the poker "'and twisted it outward as a lever. "'The hasp sprang open with a loud snap.' With trembling fingers I flung back the lid. We both stood gazing in astonishment. The box was empty. No wonder that it was heavy. The ironwork was two thirds of an inch thick all round. It was massive, well made and solid, like a chest constructed to carry things of great price. But not one shred or crumb of metal or jewelry lay within it. It was absolutely and completely empty. The treasure is lost, said Miss Morrison, calmly. As I listened to the words and realized what they meant, a great shadow seemed to pass from my soul. I did not know how this agra-treasure had weighed me down until now that it was finally removed. It was selfish, no doubt, disloyal, wrong, but I could realize nothing save that the golden barrier was gone from between us. "'Thank God!' I ejaculated from my very heart. She looked at me with a quick, questioning smile. "'Why do you say that?' she asked. "'Because you are within my reach again,' I said, taking her hand. She did not withdraw it. "'Because I love you, Mary, as truly as ever a man loved a woman. "'Because this treasure, these riches, sealed my lips. "'Now that they are gone, I can tell you how I love you. "'That is why I said, Thank God.' "'Then I say, Thank God, too,' she whispered, as I drew her to my side. "'Whoever had lost a treasure, I knew that night,' that I had gained one. We'll return right after these sponsor messages. And now, Chapter 12, The Strange Story of Jonathan Small. A very patient man was that inspector in the cab, for it was a weary time before I rejoined him. His face clouded over when I showed him the empty box. Well, there goes the reward, said he gloomily. "'Where there's no money, there's no pay. "'This night's work would have been worth a tenner each "'to Sam Brown and me if the treasure had been there.' "'Mr. Thaddeus Sholto is a rich man,' I said. "'He will see that you are rewarded. "'Treasurer, no.' "'The inspector shook his head despondently, however. "'It's a bad job,' he repeated, "'and so Mr. Athelny Jones will think. "'His forecast proved to be correct, "'for the detective looked blank enough "'when I got to Baker Street and showed him the empty box.' They had only just arrived, Holmes the prisoner, and he, for they had changed their plans so far as to report themselves in a station upon the way. My companion lounged in his armchair with his usual listless expression, while Small sat stolidly opposite to him with his wooden leg cocked over his sound one. As I exhibited the empty box, he leaned back in his chair and laughed aloud. "'This is your doing, Small,' said Othelny Jones angrily. "'Yes, i put it away where you shall never lay a hand upon it.' he cried exultantly. "'It is my treasure, and if I can't have the loot, I'll take darn good care that no one else does. I tell you that no living man has any right to it, unless it is three men who are in the Andaman convict barracks and myself. I know now that I cannot have the use of it, and I know that they cannot. I have acted all through for them as much as for myself. It's been the sign of four with us always.' "'Well, I know that they would have had me do just what I have done "'and throw the treasure into the Thames "'rather than let it go to kith or kin of Sholto or Morstan. "'It was not to make them rich that we did for Achmet. "'You'll find the treasure where the key is, and where little Tonga is. "'When I saw that your launch must catch us, "'I put the loot away in a safe place. "'There are no rupees for you this journey.' "'You are deceiving us, small,' said Athelney Jones sternly. "'If you had wished to throw the treasure into the Thames,' "'It would have been easier for you to have thrown box and all. "'Easier for me to throw, and easier for you to recover,' he answered with a shrewd, sidelong look. "'The man that was clever enough to hunt me down is clever enough to pick an iron box from the bottom of a river. "'Now that they're scattered over five miles or so, it may be a harder job. "'It went to my heart to do it, though. "'I was half mad when you came up with us. "'However, there's no good grieving over it. "'I've had ups in my life, and I've had downs, but I've learned not to cry over spilled milk.' This is a very serious matter, Small, said the detective. If you had helped justice, instead of thwarting it in this way, you would have had a better chance at your trial. Justice? snarled the ex-convict. A pretty justice? Whose loot is this if it's not ours? Where's the justice that I should give it up to those who have never earned it? Look how I've earned it. Twenty long years in that fever-ridden swamp, all day at work under the mangrove tree, all night chained up in the filthy convict huts, "'bitten by mosquitoes, racked with egg, "'bullied by every cursed black-faced policeman "'who loved to take it out of a white man. "'That was how I earned the agri-treasure. "'And you talk to me of justice? "'Because I can't bear to feel that I've paid this price, "'only that another may enjoy it? "'I would rather swing a score of times, "'or have one of Tonga's darts in my hide, "'than live in a convict cell "'and feel that another man is at his ease "'in a palace with the money that should be mine.' "'Small had dropped his mask of stoicism,' and all this came out in a wild whirl of words, while his eyes blazed and the handcuffs clanked together with the impassioned movement of his hands. I could understand, as I saw the fury and the passion of the man, that it was no groundless or unnatural terror which had possessed Major Sholto when he first learned that the injured convict was upon his track. "'You forget that we know nothing of all this,' said Holmes, quietly. "'We have not heard your story, and we cannot tell how far justice may originally have been on your side.' "'Well, sir, you've been very fair-spoken to me, "'though I can see that I have you to thank "'that I have these bracelets upon my wrists. "'Still I bear no grudge for that. "'It's all fair and above board. "'If you want to hear my story, "'I have no wish to hold it back. "'What I say to you is God's truth, every word of it. "'Thank you. "'You can put the glass beside me here, "'and I'll put my lips to it if I'm dry. "'I'm a Worcester man myself, "'born near Pershore. "'I dare say you would find a heap of smalls "'living there now if you were to look.' I've often thought of taking a look around there, but the truth is that I was never much of a credit to the family, and I doubt if they would be so very glad to see me. They were all steady, chapel-going folk, small farmers, well-known and respected over the countryside. Well, I was always a bit of a rover. At last, however, when I was about eighteen, I gave them no more trouble, for I got into a mess over a girl and could only get out of it again by taking the queen's shilling and joining the third buffs, which was just starting for India.' I wasn't destined to do much soldiering, however. I had just got past the goose step and learned how to handle my musket when I was fool enough to go swimming in the Ganges. Lucky for me, my company sergeant, John Holder, was in the water at the same time, and he was one of the finest swimmers in the service. A crocodile took me just as I was halfway across and nipped off my right leg as clean as a surgeon could have done it, just above the knee. What with the shock and the loss of blood, I fainted, and should have been drowned if Holder hadn't caught hold of me and paddled for the bank. I was five months in the hospital over it, and when at last I was able to limp out of it with this timber toe strapped to my stump, I found myself invalided out of the army, and unfitted for any active occupation. I was, as you can imagine, pretty down on my luck at this time, for I was a useless cripple, though not yet in my twentieth year. However, my misfortune soon proved to be a blessing in disguise. A man named Abel White, "'who had come out there as an indigo planter, "'wanted an overseer to look after his coolers "'and keep them up to their work. "'He happened to be a friend of our colonel's "'who had taken an interest in me since the accident. "'To make a long story short, "'the colonel recommended me strongly for the post, "'and as the work was mostly to be done on horseback, "'my leg was no great obstacle, "'for I had enough thigh left to keep a good grip on the saddle. "'What I had to do was to ride over to the plantation "'to keep an eye on the men as they worked, "'and to report the idlers.' The pay was fair, I had comfortable quarters, and altogether I was content to spend the remainder of my life in indigo planting. Mr. Abel White was a kind man, and he would often drop into my little shanty and smoke a pipe with me, for white folk out there feel their hearts warm to each other as they never do here at home. Well, I was never in luck's way long. Suddenly, without a note of warning, the great mutiny broke upon us. One month India lay as still and peaceful, to all appearance, as Surrey or Kent— The next there were two hundred thousand black devils let loose, and the country was a perfect hell. Of course, you know all about it, gentlemen, a deal more than I do, very like, since reading is not in my line. I only know what I saw with my own eyes. Our plantation was at a place called Mutra, near the border of the Northwest Provinces. Night after night the whole sky was alight with the burning bungalows, and day after day we had small companies of Europeans passing through our estate with their wives and children. "'on their way to Agra, where the nearest troops were. "'Mr. Abel White was an obstinate man. "'He had it in his head that the affair had been exaggerated "'and that it would blow over as suddenly as it had sprung up. "'There he sat on his veranda, "'drinking whiskey pegs and smoking cheroots, "'while the country was in a blaze about him. "'Of course we stuck by him. "'And I, I and Dawson, who, with his wife, "'used to do the bookwork and the managing. "'Well, one fine day the crash came.' I had been away on a distant plantation and was riding slowly home in the evening when my eye fell upon something all huddled together at the bottom of a steep nullah. I rode down to see what it was, and the cold struck through my heart when I found it was Dawson's wife, all cut into ribbons and half eaten by jackals and native dogs. A little further up the road Dawson himself was lying on his face, quite dead, with an empty revolver in his hand, and four sepoys lying across each other in front of him. I reined up my horse "'wondering which way I should turn, "'but at that moment I saw thick smoke curling up "'from Abel White's bungalow "'and the flames beginning to burst through the roof. "'I knew then that I could do my employer no good, "'but would only throw my own life away "'if I meddled in the matter. "'From where I stood I could see hundreds of the black fiends, "'with their red coats still on their backs, "'dancing and howling round the burning house. And "'Some of them pointed at me, "'and a couple of bullets sang past my head. "'So I broke away across the paddy fields "'and found myself late at night "'safe within the walls at Agra.' As it proved, however, there was no great safety there either. The whole country was up like a swarm of bees. Wherever the English could collect in little bands, they held just the ground that their guns commanded. Everywhere else they were helpless fugitives. It was a fight of the millions against the hundreds, and the cruelest part of it was that these men that we fought against, foot, horse, and gunners, were our own picked troops, whom we had taught and trained, handling our own weapons and blowing our own bugle-calls. At Agra, There were the third Bengal fusiliers, some Sikhs, two troops of horse, and a battery of artillery. A volunteer corps of clerks and merchants had been formed, and this I joined, wooden leg and all. We went out to meet the rebels at Shaw guns early in July, and we beat them back for a time, but our powder gave out, and we had to fall back upon the city. We'll return with the rest of Jonathan Small's story and the conclusion to The Sign of Four next week Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.